So our second uh, talk is going to be by Annabel Nielsen from the Australian Earth Laws Alliance, the wonderful organisation of which I'm a member and I hope you are too. Uh, and uh, so Annabel's going to talk without PowerPoint. She hasn't been corrupted by PowerPoint and then we'll have questions and discussion. Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, short introduction, I've got a legal background. I'm actually a practicing lawyer in Indigenous land rights at the moment. Um, working with AILA and what I'm going to talk about today is a bit of a passion project. Well, it's definitely a passion project and I can talk your ears up about it um, in, in the breaks. Um, a good segue is ex expanding from Robert's last two points in his slide. So the lack of regulatory response and also the individualisation of consumption. Um, that's something I'm quite passionate about and it stems from a personal experience that I had about three and a half years ago where I had a washing machine that broke. Um, it had lasted three years, it was a Simpson model, I paid, you know, I just wanted a basic model that did the job, I paid about $400, you know, $400 for it, so it's on the basic lower end of the scale of the products. Um, but I expected it to last at least seven to eight years, I mean my mum had a Simpson that lasted 15 to 16 years. Um, but it broke, you know, I called the good guys where I bought it from, um, they put me in touch with the repairman who was going to charge me $150 just to get out there, have a look at it for 15 minutes, diagnose the problem, and then of course there'd be repair costs if that's the route that I want to go down. So I rang the good guys up again, I said, you've got to pay for it, you know, because, you know, it, it's, it's ridiculous, it's free, you're not going to, you know, throw it into the trash. And they turned around and said, look, we'll talk to the owner, came back to me and said, for the price of your machine, it's not worth it. So, you know, but we're happy to sell you a new model at a discount. So anyway, um, and by the way, it's out of warranty, so I've got a two-year warranty. So I looked, that inspired me to look into my rights as a consumer under the Australian Consumer Law. So if, uh, for those that aren't aware, regardless of warranties, you do have consumer rights um, enshrined in legislation. Um, and I discovered that the machine came with a statutory guarantee that it was of acceptable quality. And part of that guarantee meant that it was durable. Um, but there's a gap in the consumer legislation because we're not sure what durable is. It's a very subjective discussion to be had in the courts. Um, it will depend on you know, the price of the product, the model, the, the uh, purpose of the product, all that kind of stuff. So I wrote back to the good guys and I've got these rights. I started all the, the, the sections of the, the ACL and um, I was ignored. And I wrote back to the owner and I was ignored. And they kept ignoring me until I filed um, a notice of them to appear in the Queensland Administration and Mr. Um, Tribunal. Sorry, I haven't slept much. I moved to Sydney this week from Cairns. So, um, I'm quite tired. Um, then they then they listened. Um, we had, um, I'll, I'll talk about the outcome later, but that made me realise, look, I was fortunate because I had the confidence to go through the legislation and represent myself in a tribunal or a magistrate's court, um, if that was the case. Who's going to bother spending the time over a $400 machine? Okay, who's going to go see a lawyer about that? Who is going to go to legal aid to get that kind of um, advice? And then I realised it's an access to justice issue and this is what keeps the cycle going. You've got products that don't last as long. It is easier to throw it away and just get a new one and not deal with it, especially for goods that you know, just don't make it worthwhile for your time to fight your rights under the ACL. Um, so I'll take up to you to talk about what planned obsolescence is. Um, it's not just things that are designed to fail at a certain time. You've got, you might have heard of inject printers where they hit a certain mark. Um, you can have your little inkjet, uh, what do you call them, the cartridges, and you can fill them up, but once that printer has actually identified that you've made a certain amount of printouts, it won't accept the filled up 
cartridge, and there is evidence about that. Um, but it's also marketers convincing you that something's unfashionable. You've got to get your rose gold iPhone, for example. Um, you've got to keep up the latest models of car. Um, it could be an acceptance for manufacturers that we are going to meet a lower price point. We will use cheap materials, fast production processes, and just accept that we're putting a lower quality product out there. Um, and we'll just reap the profits from that. Um, and it also means making it difficult to repair and upgrade the product. I'm sure people have heard about you know, the soldered batteries that you can't replace, or the, the screws that Apple have that only they can unscrew themselves. Or you break your warranty if you go to an independent repair person. Repair parts aren't available for um, two years after the product is made. So all of that um, is encompassed under a broad definition of planned obsolescence. So back to my story. Um, so, uh, where am I? Okay, so now that I'd filed this action, it meant that I had to go to the tribunal and I had to, to convince the tribunal that my machine um, was durable. And what I had to do um, under the law is that I had to convince the tribunal that a hypothetical, reasonable person in my circumstances would have expected the machine to last longer than three years. And this is where the court would look at, okay, how much did it cost? What was it meant to do? Um, what were the, did you have any recommendations by the supplier, the retailer, the, the manufacturer? And we'll just have a chat about it in court and I was going to have an argument with the good guys about what was durable. So this hot big cloud of uncertainty that choices um, raised in their advocacy efforts. Um, the ACL was recently reviewed and these issues came to light um, by different advocacy um, organisations around the country. Um, so of course, you know, I went and I thought, okay, I'm going to call different manufacturers of machines and look at their lower price models and find out how long are they supposed to last. So I rang consumer, uh, consumer hotlines no one told me. It's a trade secret. Um, I asked, okay, can I write to your office? And I, oh, I'm not giving you the address of our office. Like, they just got defensive. Um, I could not get in writing or find anywhere what the intended lifespan, like how long these products were built to last. So that was number one. How's the average consumer going to go to court, provide evidence, when they can't get that evidence? You're going to you know, pay an expert $50, $100 an hour to get that um, evidence for you for a $400 machine. Unlikely. Um, another challenge was there was no legal precedent in this case, um, so the court couldn't draw or the tribunal couldn't draw from that. Um, and there are no reliable guidelines to assist the tribunal of what different products and different price points and how long they should be expected to last. So it's really, the uncertainty is huge. Um, and so then I thought, you know, it would be really easier if products were just made to last a lot longer. Not entirely, you know, you want to build in energy efficiency, so we're looking at optimal last, you know, you don't want to last 20 years, but we want the optimal lifespan of that product to exist. Hang on, why don't we have standards that require manufacturers to make them like that? Um, I didn't come up with that. Um, I've been looking at what's been happening in Europe in there, when they're, you know, they're embracing a circular economy. Part of it is trying to eradicate plans obsolescence and they're experimenting with, um, like the EU Commission is looking at, um, they're investigating how plans obsolescence operates, but they're also looking at how they can get the member states to start implementing legislation and having mandatory standards um, for products so they are upgradable, repairable, recyclable, and they, they last to the optimum lifestyle, uh, lifetime. Um, so then I thought, okay, well, how, how, you know, can we develop this in Australia? We're, we're not looking, well, South Australia is now looking at a circular economy, but when I was looking at it, no one was looking at a circular economy. So how can we um, do this in, in Australia? I was pretty fired up by this stage. and. Um, my friends are just telling me, you have to go back to work. So I was on my to leave, you know, cleaning lots of reusable nappies when this machine broke. And I was like, oh, it's so difficult, so angry. Um, but it just led me from one thing to another. And so 
what I discovered is we have a product stewardship act that was enacted at the Commonwealth level in 2011. Um, it was the result of Australian, the Australian state governments getting together six years ago, developing a waste, um, a waste strategy policy. Um, and part of that policy recognises that manufacturers, retailers, consumers, um, importers all have a shared responsibility about the product's effects on the environment and also the toxic chemicals um, and, and the, uh, the parts of those products and the effects effect on the health of the, of the people as well. Um, but I won't harp on to you know, talk about that because it's not really related to what I'm talking today with planned obsolescence. Um, so it's a really interesting act. Um, one of the core objectives of the act is um, to, to look at the whole entire life cycle of a product and see how that product affects the environment. And when I look at the say the entire life cycle, we're talking about from the point of extracting raw materials to the menu, you know, to when it goes to the factory, they put the product together, it's sold, it's used by consumer, and then it's um, it's dumped or it's at, at its end of life and how that is managed at the end of life. The entire life cycle. So life cycle science plays an important part in this as well. Um, the act pretty much what it does, it provides a framework this product management or product stewardship scheme. So um, you can have a voluntarily, the companies can get together or manufacturers can get together and voluntarily devise a scheme to achieve that objective of the act and then get that scheme accredited by the government and they can sell it, they can brand themselves saying we've got this great, you know, we're eco-friendly, we're green, we've got this scheme. Um, alternatively, the minister has powers under a co-regulatory system or a mandatory system where the minister identifies product categories that are going to be regulated and identifies parties that will then have responsibilities to um, come up with a product stewardship management scheme. So under a co-regulatory scheme, um, the minister might say, okay, we're regulating micro, uh, the, what is those micro bees and um, cosmetics? Um, so I want all manufacturers in this country to get their heads together and tell me how you're going to get those, you know, eradicate those within a year. Um, and so in that sense, the government works together with companies or the, part, the liable parties to come up with a scheme. Or you can have a mandatory scheme where the minister says, right, this is what needs to be done. Um, these are the parties liable and you have to adhere to this. So what is currently possible under the Act is I had a look at it and um, at the moment it is possible for the minister to regulate um, to make longer lasting products like longer lasting washing machines. Um, so going back to my favourite product of all time, um, I want to explain how this will work with the information we have available to us today through life cycle research. Um, generally lower quality machines average around 2,000 cycles while your higher end product averages around 10,000 cycles. The common break points of these machines are the pump, the motor and the plumbing. Um, energy efficiency is managed, um, you know, it's managed by optimising temperature, the spin rate and the washing time and that again is managed by the electronic sensor systems uh, and its software. The software, electronics, etc. can be easily upgraded without having to change the whole machine. So you can have a machine that is upgradable and lasts a 10,000 cycles. So currently, under the Act, I argue that the Minister has the power to say, okay, well, these are the minimum standards that um, manufacturers need to meet. You need to make, make a high-end product that lasts 10,000 wash cycles. That's got to be upgradable. You need to make spare parts available for, for an amount of time. I want you to put a label on the machines to identify to consumers how long they can 
um, expect the machine to last, they can make an informed choice. Um, the minister can also require retailers, importers, not to deal with machines of lower quality or that don't meet that standard um, and effectively stop, stop the trade <laughs> of those products in this country. Um, so, unlikely at the moment under our current <laughs> government, um, but that, that is what is possible. The only hitch there is that to make those regulations, um, I'm not going to go through, I'll step back, I'm not going to go through the whole legal analysis of it, that will be in a submission that will be drafted for AILA, um, that you can get access to at a later stage. But in essence, the Act focuses on the production of waste. Um, so even if you have good environmental outcomes from products um, that don't cause a lot of waste, and this will be quite uh, relevant in a circular economy, um, the nurse can't regulate in that sense. So you've got to prove that you can substantially reduce the amount of waste that a product is going to cause. So it's limited in its effect. This Act is now up for review. Um, the Commonwealth Government is going to start um, community consultations. Um, they went to do it two months ago, so I'm waiting any day now for an issues paper to be released by the Government. On behalf of AILA, we will be um, doing a submitting a submission for that review. Um, and it's quite interesting because we'll, we'll bring this up. Um, there's a lot of things I want to put into the submission. I will just touch and say two major things that I'm quite interested in. Um, one of them is that going back to the core objectives of the Act to not uh, not have negative effects on the environment. A secondary objective is um, to reduce emissions and energy and water use. It's not a primary objective. It's a secondary objective. Damn, okay. Um, what that means is that the practical aspect of it is that um, the Minister cannot regulate to reduce emissions, or reduce energy and water use. He just cannot do it. But companies can get together under a voluntary scheme, a voluntary scheme to deal with that secondary objective. So one of the arguments I would like to make is that this should be brought up. You know, the objectives of the Act aren't quite relevant. We're now in a crisis. Um, we need to bring that objective up to a primary objective so that we can regulate. So for example, if you, um, you know, in a circular economy where we're not causing a lot of waste, but in the production of, say, smartphones or um, televisions, computers, whatever it is, that have uh, caused high emissions in the process, we can still regulate um, minimum standards because we're saving on emissions or water use. Um, one of the other things I'd like to do, and this is going to be quite tricky, um, is, is looking at the concept of our planetary boundaries and really questioning those rates of consumption. Um, <coughs> the shocking thing that I found is cost-benefit analysis has to occur before the Minister can actually regulate. Um, the government's going to weigh up what are the benefits of implementing these regulations, what is the cost of implementing those regulations. Um, the government, a few years ago the government looked at regulating refrigeration, uh, refrigerators and, um, well I call them refrigerants, but refrigerators and the gases in um, air conditioning units. Um, and they concluded their work because the cost-benefit analysis conducted by KPMG identified that there wasn't a net benefit to society. Now, interestingly, interestingly Drawdown, which is working on the top solutions, top 100 solutions to climate change at the moment, so this is the number one thing that we have to be focusing on right now. We need to manage um, these high-intensity gases. Um, but our government's dropped it because our cost-benefit analysis didn't really, didn't say it was worthwhile. One of the things that cost-benefit analysis didn't show is it didn't take into account the saving of emissions um, from the production of new machines 
going to be replacing these products every 5, 10, 15 years. Um, it didn't take, it, it only looked at localised pollution um, emanating from landfills. There was an extensive environmental cost. Um, so we need to change that. We need to change how we're going to look at that. Let's look at our planetary boundaries. Let's look at our global um, you know, costs and benefits. Um, let's look at you know, ecological integrity and the principles of that, which reminds us that we are, everything is interconnected. How do we enshrine that into the law? So that's going to be one of my challenges in putting that into the submission. Um, but it's necessary. So that, that's one of the other points. Um, there's more I can say, but I won't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, no, this is the most important thing. What you can do. Um, there's a number of things. I, people uh, have well I up. If you need to buy something, if you can't avoid and reuse and all that kind of stuff, and you need to buy a product, if you can, get it in writing from the retailer. Um, how long will the product last? Um, how long will spare parts be available for? Um, where do I, who can repair this? Will, will my warranty be void, et cetera, et cetera? I probably won't put it in writing, but some will, some might. But then if you have the inclination to challenge it down the track, you at least have those representations made by the retailer. Um, and that, that'll give you a head start. But it also helps you make an informed choice about whether you actually want to buy that product. Um, get the Helen Commission. Read it if you agree with what we're saying. Um, support it. Get, be involved with this community consultation. I think there'll be face-to-face -face consultations around the country, um, yet to be confirmed. Um, but get involved. Um, write a letter of support for our submission or write your own. Um, you can even counter our submission if you want. To at least get the, you know, the discussion out there. The government will likely turn around and go, it's ridiculous. Um, but we need to get that conversation going at a community level. Uh, a couple of other things. I'm going to propose tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to propose a consumption work group um, as part of NINA. Um, so keep an eye out for that tomorrow. Email me at Earthlaws. If you're interested, if you want to keep up to date, I can send you a copy of our submission once it's out and let you know if that is development. Uh, we're planning a consumption workshop with um, uh, interested people in Sydney next year as well. So there's lots of stuff that will be happening. Um, the Adabel, A-N-A-B-E-L-L-E -L -L -E at earthlaws.org.au um, and just yeah, let me know if you want to hop out or be on board. <laughs>